presents Cofield and Company. No one, and I mean no one, is going to outwork this guy. The man has unstoppable energy. Steve Cofield. We like Steve. <laughs> but we don't love Steve. It's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. And we know it because we feel it in our bones. Yeah! All right. Friday, 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 Friday. Cofield and company. Willa Ramirez is the company. Excellent show on the way. Former NBA player coming up. Former NFL player. Actually, multiple former NFL players to talk some Raiders throughout the show. Uh, OTAs were a couple weeks in. A lot of good conversations, quotes that came down yesterday. So we'll go heavy on the NFL and, of course, the NBA Finals. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm not rooting for either team. Uh, Can't stand both of them for different reasons, but... um, I guess if I was leaning towards one team over the other, it would be the Celtics to take out the very arrogant Golden State Warriors. And that fourth quarter was friggin' painful. So let's get to it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. But we start out with a little baseball news because I felt like I had a little deja vu. Uh, Phillies fire Joe Girardi. What are we like? 48 games into the season, uh, 51 games into the season, right? And I've been the Philly media and the Philly fans just annihilating Joe Girardi. Again, it's a third of the way into the season. You may want to put this on the players, but Girardi goes bye-bye. Now, remember, Gabe Kapler was the Phillies manager. Gabe Kapler is the best manager in baseball. I I suppose we can have a debate. I don't think it's that interesting on 2022 Sports Talk Radio, but the Phillies couldn't give Kapler enough time. And now the Giants with their quadruple A roster and then whatever they do to get their pitchers back on track. He's awesome. He is an awesome manager and the Phillies ran him out on a rail. So you've got Joe Girardi on the heels of Gabe Kapler. Kind of feels like Gerard Glantz, you know, and then Pete DeBoer and Vegas is one type of market. Philly, New York, and Boston are ridiculous. I mean, I read the other day in one of the New York papers about the Yankees' disaster that is not getting any better. I'm like, disaster? I think at the time they were 33 and 15. What could be a disaster? Oh, a couple of a couple of the guys on the Yankees aren't hitting. While 10 of them are, there's two that are hitting. You know, it's Joey Gallo and Aaron Hicks, and I think Hicks went three or four. But if you notice yesterday, the Yankees almost threw a, you know, a no-hitter. They won that game. They beat the hell out of. Otani, but this is the way the, you know, the Northeast corridor works. And for coaches, you're on thin ice all the friggin' time. I, I think what the Phillies did here is embarrassing. And I know Girardi's a target because he's kind of an arrogant guy, but good luck with Robbie Thompson the rest of the way. Um, the only way it's going to turn around is if the players get it done. Well, and the problem I had with this when I saw it was the Phillies have also been dealing with injuries. I mean, they're, they're banged up. I mean, what is he supposed to do? He's, he's trying to, uh, you know, jigsaw puzzle a, a lineup together every other night. They've had minor leaguers up and down. So it's not as if he he's had a – I mean, their star, Bryce Harper, 
Right? No, no telling what's what's going on with him. Segura, he's going to be out. I think it was. Well, I mean, the fact weeks, that but... Bryson Stott, we're all rooting for him, but the fact that he's. Well, I'm not even he... talking about Bryson. Stott. No, but I'm talking about Hart. the fact that he he's struggling, and they just have so few options. They're like, we got to keep him up here because he he may not be a superstar, but a veteran like D.D. Gregorius has right. been out. But they've had a lot of injuries. Their pitching hasn't delivered. So Girardi is gone. So while speaking of Gallant and DeBoer. I wonder how many hockey fans are really dialed in on this. And, you know, this is always the question about Vegas now five years in. Are we a Vegas Golden Knights market or are we a hockey market? Um, I think at a minimum, we're a VGK and Gallant and Fleury market and Reeves market. And Gallant and Reeves got off to a hell of a start. I think the Lightning are awesome. I was expecting Lightning and Avs in the finals, but the Rangers might be able to throw a wrench in this whole thing. They got out to a great start in game one, and we got game two coming up. Well, and as I mentioned with Adam the other day, the, the reason I – Rangers there's two things number one is that and I said this Adam dude how many times have we sat in that press in that film room for press conferences when they come home from an elongated road trip and they've had three four days off they get home let's say from a six game road trip and they're off for two days or whatever it is and it's optional skating by the third three days later we're talking to them and they're off for two more days and they say you know what it's 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 harder to come off those long breaks and it's usually the second game where they get their legs back because they've been home, they've been relaxed. Not to sound too, I don't know what, crass, but they're hanging with the girlfriend and the wife. The knees are a little weak. They're hanging with the family. Jonathan Marchessault has joked about, yeah, sometimes we get home and I just want to sleep, but I forget. I got to be a dad, and he plays with the kids. That said, the Lightning were off for eight days on the ninth day. They were finally playing. It takes, you know, to get into game speed. The Rangers were playing every other day and came out of an emotional seven-game series, but... That's the NHL season. So they just the season. So they're they're just rolling with their same momentum that they've been playing with. The other thing was Gerard Gallant since 2017 going into the series 6 and 1 against the Lightning, 3 and 1 with the Golden Knights, 3 and 0 with the Rangers, running the same type of system, rolling four lines out, going off of the rush. What's the difference? Yeah, I mean, you, you you run the system, you can have superstars, superstars all you want. But the fact of the matter is, as we're seeing, when systems work in a certain way, like Gerard Glantz did when he was with Vegas, and they beat the Lightning three out of four meetings, and three straight meetings this year, the Rangers are undefeated against Tampa Bay this season. So I'm not shocked. I, I, I am shocked at six goals. I will say that. You're putting six on Vasilevsky is a shock. But I'm not shocked that they won. Now... Back to my first point, the Lightning will have their legs underneath them. It's going to be a great game, and I think it comes down to the goaltender battle. Everyone thought it would be in game one. Gallant with the Coach of the Year award doesn't get it. No. You surprised? Uh, probably not, just because I think Calgary might have been more of a surprise in terms of where they finished, how they finished, how dominating they finished. Um, again, you know, I mean, Vegas fell off, obviously, in the Pacific Division with all the injuries and whatnot. So, um, but the way that Calgary played, I think that Sutter, you know, it's a, it's not a surprise. It, and I'm not going to say he did didn't or did deserve it. If Gallant would have win, I would have said he deserved it. It's the third time Gerard Gallant's been nominated for the award. He's won it once the year with Vegas. He was nominated when he was with the Panthers, and then this year with the Rangers. Pretty good coach. Uh, that game begins on 12:30. of the game. Our, uh, one of our sister stations, that'll be a 5 o'clock puck drop. Rangers lead 1-0. Rangers lightning again, 12:30. the game. Our sister station is going to have all the Western and Eastern Conference Finals. If you want to listen to the radio call of what's going on in hockey in the Final Four. 
well, that was fun last night, wasn't it? It was befuddling to watch. The Warriors play pretty well, seem to be in a comfortable position. I'm sure a lot of people watching around the country are like, well, it's the Warriors. You know, they're tough to beat. Celtics just aren't going to get this one in game one. And then the switch got flipped at the beginning of the fourth quarter. And then with like eight minutes left, the freaking Warriors could not score. They got stuck on 103 points. And then the other side, of course, is everyone on the roster for the Celtics seemed to be hitting threes. And they won going away. I thought the body language sucked on the Warriors side. Uh, they had no answers. They could not get open. Steph Curry was the only one who could get a shot off. And, you know, I always get on this guy, but when he's doing nothing on offense, he better freaking play great defense. Draymond Green is four on five on offense. He was dreadful down the stretch. I mean, the Celtics were playing so well. They're like, we're going to keep Peyton Pritchard out there, and Marcus Smart's going to play three freaking minutes. They want it running away. And now all of a sudden a series that had, hey, the Celtics have to answer a lot of questions. Now the ball is squarely in the corner of the Warriors. Like, what do you do to make sure that you don't get locked down like that in game two? Yeah, I, and I'm sitting there watching the Aces game, and I, and I see – I'm courtside, but I'm keeping my eye on this, and I see Golden State pull ahead in the third, and then all of a sudden double digit, and I'm going, oh, there we go. And then out of nowhere – and, you know, one of the things that, that I'm reading, I'm watching highlights, the rotation for the Warriors was off. Iguodala hasn't played in a month. Kerr has him out there starting in the fourth quarter, which was odd. Uh, but a big story should be Jordan Poole. No showing after showcasing his talents all year. Puts up a complete dud in game one. You know, it's, as you said, like with Draymond, when, when certain role players don't have the game that you expect them to have, you have to be able to. It seemed to be the theme of the night in basketball because we're going to talk about that in a little bit here with a local team, but – when certain players have off nights or certain things go wrong or inj- anything, you better be ready. And you're in the NBA Finals, and you're supposed to be the one with the championship pedigree. And as you said, Draymond, you're starting Iggy. Jordan Poole has an off night. Eh. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. I think they're too good a team. To go down 2-0, losing the first two at home, I think they win game two. And now look, it, the burden is on them. Can you go win a road game in Boston? That's what it's going to come down to. And if they can, then all of a sudden Golden State will be the favorite again. But for now, absolutely, the Boston should be favored from this point on because they did what they had to do. They stole the first game. Now back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. There you go, Tim Legler from ESPN on the Warriors bouncing back this weekend. Game two coming up right here on ESPN Las Vegas. That'll be on Saturday. Will Ramirez, Cofield here. We wanted to break down the Celtics' victory. Yeah. I think the Celtics are going to win the series. I didn't know they would win it the way they did last night. I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, the Warriors have to be reeling a bit. But it's a veteran team, so I'm sure they're going to make adjustments. And you know they'll come out confident in game number two. But let's bring in a former Celtic, and he's uh, certainly got some ties uh, still to hoops on several levels, and Willie will get into that. But D Brown is nice enough to join us here in Vegas on Cofield and Company. How are you, sir? Good. Yeah, how are you doing, guys? Appreciate you jumping on. I know you were you were in the facility training. Uh, I believe you are training your kids, or what, a couple of your kids, or part of your group. I know you, you're doing some coaching, but you're also uh, back at your alma mater in Jacksonville, so I know you're busy and appreciate you uh, jumping in here. Oh, no problem. No problem. Appreciate you guys inviting me. I'm looking forward to it. 
So let's let's open it up. Both Steve and I, we uh, we we definitely like the Celtics. Well, I picked the Celtics a couple of days ago on the show. Um, I thought that they, I thought basically because since January twenty third, they were the number one team in the league. I don't think a lot of people appreciated what they were able to do, not just at the defensive end, but at both ends of the court. They closed the season twenty eight and seven, scoring one hundred and seventeen points. They only allowed 102.1 in that time frame, and they've really carried it over into the postseason, specifically on defense. How have you seen this team sort of just move through the playoffs and take game one in San Francisco? Well, I think I think that the most important part for people to understand about the Celtics was that everybody was so enamored in a good way or really disgusted in a bad way with the Jalen Brown Jason Tatum connection early in the season, and who's the man, who's the go-to guy, who team is it? And I think that affected those young guys early because, they're again, when you're young, you know, you have an ego. Uh, and I think early, Eme being a new coach uh, with the Celtics, I think that affected them early because everybody was so much worried about offense. It's offense, offense, offense. The first of the year comes, uh, you can see that, okay, it's, it's okay, maybe Jay, Jason's, 1A, Jalen's 1B, Marcus is the glue, Al Harford's a veteran. You get to the first of the year, well, all of a sudden the switch turns on because everything starts revolving around defense because our offense will take care of itself. And once they identify those layers on the other end of the court, defense takes care of itself because most times at, at any level, especially the NBA level, your offense determines, determines your defense of mindset and when your offense is all screwed up, you don't really care about defense. Like you're like, okay, I'm not getting any shots. I'm, I'm not the go-to man, and you really stop playing defense. Once I identified the offensive identity, after this whole, well, you need to trade one of those guys, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You know, you got two young under 25 <laughs> superstars. You don't trade those guys. Like that was dumb. Like anybody who just said that to me didn't understand the dynamics of what needed to happen for this to change. And it, what changed was. People put their egos at the door, no agenda, and they start playing defense. You got Marcus Smart. You got Robert Williams. You got Al Harford. So the guys start figuring it out. That's why, again, second half of the season, going to the playoffs, you saw the Celtics that people thought you were going to see. Now, game one, if you told me at game one that they would win on the road, game one after coming off a grinding seven-game series, playing in Golden State, and Jason, Jason came at 12 points, and your lead scorer was Al Horford. They would win and score 40 points in the fourth quarter. I thought you were crazy. So, again, that's the part that they did. They hit shots in the fourth quarter, but it was a defense still. Steph, right. Steph Curry had 21 points in the first quarter. 21 points in the first quarter. Ended up with, you know, he had 34. But after that, they put the deal. They locked down a little bit on defense. So, that's the identity that Celtics have, have had since the first of the year. Well, yeah, and you're right. I mean, I don't think that anybody can believe that Boston's going to hit nine threes in a quarter again, score 40 points in a quarter again, or be led by Al Horford or Derek White from three-point land <laughs> in the right. fourth quarter again. But on the same token, then you have to assume that you're also going to get a better game out of Tatum and Brown. So, you know, like you said, on that offensive end – these things may not happen. These rare occurrences that we saw last night may not happen again, but we're also not going to see somewhat of an off night. Your normal characters that stick, uh, that 
that step up offensively, they're going to be there. How do you see or what do you see that they need to do in game two to somewhat sustain the same type of motivation and, and momentum that they that they had in game one if they can't do they, they can't duplicate the fourth quarter what do they have to do in game two they have to give they have to get to a better start they do i mean i think the initial punch in the mouth they they took it i really thought Steph, uh, Steph was gonna go for 50 really um the way he started the game yeah six threes in the first quarter which is amazing and I think they lost him a few times. He had some wide-open looks. Uh, and then they, they, they knuckled down a little bit. Jason's going to find his way. You know, what, the one thing that that we dismissed of what Jason did, even though he shot the ball well, he had 13 assists. So he didn't force the issue. He had 13 assists. Nobody, nobody's talking about that part. You know, your best scorer, one of the top, to me, one of the top five young players or top five players in the league right now had 13 assists in game one in the finals. And we're talking about, you know, well, you know, we don't think Earl's going to hit six threes and Derek Price going to hit five threes. And, no, they're, they're probably not. But for for Jason to be a facilitator, that gives the, his teammates what, what Shaq calls the others, the others' confidence. And he's not going to have <laughs> a bad shooting game. He's not going to shoot. He's not going to shoot three for seventeen again. And they have to get off to a better start. Number one, um, they can't you know let you know you know Steph and Clay get loose and keep it going. And like you said, are they going to score 40 points in a quarter again? Especially the fourth quarter? Probably not. But those guys made shots. I think Golden State got shell-shocked and couldn't make shots. Um, and the Celtic defense obviously picked up, uh, you know, the last eight minutes of the game. So uh, everybody says, you know, you've heard a lot before, the series doesn't start until somebody wins on the road. Well, there you go. Game two, go. the series has started. And – that's that's what you want. This this is what makes for a great seven game series. Um, I think Golden State will win that game two, um, and I think once you go back one one, that's when it gets real interesting. D Brown, the former Celtic, is up with Cofield and Company as we're breaking down game number one and the series, the finals with the Warriors and the Celtics. How big do you think the change at coach was for the Celtics? I think it was, it was, you know what was, what was really good is the way it, it, it transpired because Brad didn't leave. Brad went to the front office. So Brad knew all these players, had a relationship with these players as a coach. So once he went to be the president of the team, he still had a relationship. Obviously, the dynamics changed by him being management and not coaching. And bringing Amy in, Amy in from a San Antonio Spurs, you know, pedigree, you know, playing for Pop, coaching under Pop, you know, USA Basketball. He had credibility since you stepped in the door with these young guys. And, and and to me, that's very important because this is a very young Celtic. Other than Al Harford, maybe Daniel Dice, this is a very young basketball team. Marcus Smart's a quote-unquote veteran. It's a young basketball team. So I need somebody who can identify with them, who's spent time with great young players, which – which Ime has done with USA Basketball, I thought it was, I thought, I thought it was a great move. Uh, did I expect them to, to struggle at the beginning the way they did? Not as much as they did, but you see the reason why they brought him in. He's about relationships. He's about accountability. Uh, and, he, and he's about you know doing things the right way based on your culture. He's brought that from Antonio and the places he's been and the great players and, and, and coaches he's been under. Um, 
And I think Brad has done a great job because nobody talks about Brad. He's like in the background. Like, like he, nobody is talking about the things Brad Stevens has done um, um, with this basketball team of, you know, kind of put them together, you know, getting Al back, Derek White, um, you know, drafting Peyton Pritchard. So he's done some really good things his first year as president of a basketball operation, and that gets overlooked. Talking to D. Brown, former Boston Celtic, and, of course, NBA slam dunk champ. If you have not seen the history of D. Brown, make sure you <laughs> Google that and check it out. The first person to pump up the Reeboks before a slam dunk, and, of course, the, the no-look slam. we got to get to that in a little bit. But I want to transition for a minute, if we can, D., because you spent some time coaching in – the WNBA and man right now I think women's basketball is so polarizing around the league you have a daughter who is really one of the um, star role players with a premier team the Los Angeles Sparks Lexi Brown she starred out here in Las Vegas and Athletes Unlimited last night I attended the um, Connecticut Sun Las Vegas Aces game and it got physical players on the floor every other minute um, we're seeing a lot of talk about physicality in this league, and and it's just really a purge. Can you just touch on how the movement of women's basketball, the WNBA? I mean, it's what it just had its 25th anniversary, but um, just how big it it's gotten, and and the potential where it's going. Yeah, I think I think it's going in the right direction. You know, you know, first of all, you know, you want to say your prayers and. You know, to 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 BG, who's still in Russia. So hopefully, she gets back soon and, and gets all that stuff cleared up over there in Russia. Um, so we're obviously obviously praying for her, and hopefully she gets back to the, to the states to be able to, you know, not just continue her career but continue her life. Uh, that's more important. But yeah, the game is the game is 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 very 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 uh, healthy. If I say that, you've got the older stars, and they're on their way out. The Don Trussi, the Sue Birds. You know, those players that's been in the league, Simone Augusta just retired a couple of years ago. Those players have, have uh, obviously, this, this second generation of superstars that are coming through, you know, like, you know, the Vegas team with, you know, Asia Wilson, Kelsey Plum, Connecticut team with, you know, uh, Alyssa Thomas, Jack uh, uh, Coyle Jones, who's MVP last year. And my, you know, she's found a great place in L.A. AU, I think AU uh, Hoops. Uh, you know, gave her her secondary love back for for basketball to be able to play at home in front of a great crowd in Vegas. You know, I, I know, uh, you know, she enjoyed it so much, enjoyed the coverage, enjoyed everything else. But the WNBA is growing; it, it's getting good. I think you know, it's getting on mainstream media a little bit more. The, the, the ladies are a lot more skilled. Um, you know, like you said about the physicality about the game. When I was coaching WNBA, you know, it, it was more teams. It was sixteen teams. Um, you know, now it's 12. There's a lot of former NBA players, head coaches. So we're kind of like the foundation of kind of growing the league. It was me, Bill Lambeer, uh, Michael Cooper, uh, you know, guys like that, early stages uh, of, the, of, the, of the WNBA. So hopefully we were a part of help growing it, getting awareness, uh, having the, the young, you know, WNBA uh, players and even the girls who who want to play at the next level get expired and playing. So my daughter, she's an advocate for the league. She's a you know, uh, you know, she loves doing all the stuff off the court as far as community. Uh, you know, telling young girls you can still be beautiful and be a baller. 
and knock somebody in the teeth if you need to on the court. And nothing wrong with putting on some heels and a skirt after that uh, <laughs> and going, you know, and, and then being a woman, you know. So yeah. she enjoys that part. Um, and, it's, and, and it's great to see her, her maturation process, not just as a basketball player, but just as a, 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 like a leader, uh, a, a person that supports, you know, women's sports and women's basketball. And, and I'm a very happy uh, direction the league is going on with the things they do on social issues and talking about, you know, uh, different things that I thought that think are very important uh, for young for young ladies to hear. Yeah, definitely. I can attest to that with Lexi. She, uh, when, when I interviewed her uh, last week when she was here with the Sparks, we talked, we joked about that afterwards. I was like, you are not shy about throwing some up on Instagram and doing your pose. And she said, hey, <laughs> I was doing it long before anybody else. But you know what? <laughs> Such a kind heart. So you can be proud of that. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she's a you know, listen, One thing about Lexi, she's very confident, but she's very humble. There's a very thin line between being, you know, overconfident and arrogant. And I think she's, has, has, being in pro sports for her whole life, being around me at the WNBA level, the NBA level, uh, seeing me be a player at a young age, then going to coaching uh, at, at, at WNBA and NBA, and then going to an executive in the NBA. She's seen every level of what it is. And me being in the media, I worked for ESPN for three years. So she's seen every level of what pro sports is all about. And I'm glad that, that you know, she has a voice. Um, she's very intelligent, you know, has two degrees from Duke, but she loves the hoop and she's going to definitely, uh, you know, hopefully just keep, uh, growing and growing the league and growing her brand. Also just understanding that young girls watch her and she's a role model and mentor to a lot of people. D Brown, the former Celtic with us. Let's wrap on this. Uh, do you see the, you know, I know you mentioned, you know, newer players coming into the league. Do you see the league changing with, you know, Becky Hammond types again, just like Ime Odoka coming from the Spurs system and maybe a little more FIBA basketball, not as much feeding the post, not a demand for, you know, bigger six, five, six, 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 seven ladies, you know, where you're playing through them and now you're going to have more athletic people up front and it's a lot more about shooting the three and spacing. Yeah, I think you can see the transition. I think Becky Hammond has done a great job bringing positionless basketball to the WNBA. You don't have the high-low anymore. Uh, and, and, again, it's the new blood of, number one, the younger players coming through and the, you know, a lot of the veteran players kind of transitioning and moving on to their next phase of their life. And then bringing in new blood as coaches, you know, Becky Hammond, uh, Vanessa Nygaard in Phoenix. You know, those type of coaches that have coached these young players in high school or Becky Hammond's coached like you know, elite, elite, NBA players at the highest level, you're seeing that change. And, you know, that's what the, the game has transitioned to. You got your six, 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 seven players out there handling the ball, shooting threes, uh, you know, making plays in transition. You know, you got guards, you know, obviously, you know, who can come off, obviously spread pick and rolls and, you know, dribble, dribble drive games. That's what the game is. You know, you have to be very skilled to play this game at a high level. And I think that that, that kind of play is transition to the women's basketball game. You know, you look at college basketball. You look at some of the league teams, you know. You know, South Carolina, they still have bigs, but they do try to spread the floor a little bit. Stanford, they spread the floor a little bit. Connecticut's been spreading the floor for a long time. So, you know, this is what the women's basketball has come to. And it's, and it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's, copy, it's a copycat league. Whatever works, you know, people will, will, will attach themselves to it, try to figure it out, and put their own spin on it. Hey, let's close on this going back to the finals and just your perspective on 
Boston. You were in Boston, you know, sort of towards the the tail end, and they were trying to make that transition, keep things going. Tell the Vegas audience what it's like playing basketball in Boston with all that tradition and the expectations. I mean, it is a tremendous sport town. Yeah, you know what? I couldn't ask for a better situation to be drafted in than the Boston Celtics because it taught me so many things. But I want to talk to you about, about winning, like what winning looks like. You walk in, and then get my first five years, I played in the Boston Garden, the old original Boston Garden, the old part of K, the organ music. You know, you know, the same organ we played, the Celtics game, they played the Bruins game. Like it was, it was unbelievable. Uh, all those banners above your head. You know, all those retired jerseys, Red Arbot walking around practice. There's nothing like going to a storied franchise and them wanting you. You know, they want you. My name got, you know, when I got drafted, the person that called my name was Red Arbot. We okay. want this six-one guard. He had that accent, guard from Jacksonville University, Lee Brown. And that right there, you know, is the most unbelievable feeling. I, winning the Samuel contest was unbelievable. And I, I, I cherish it. But having Red Arbach call your name on draft night, that he wants you after all the great players and people he's been around um, before you got there, all the way back from Kuzi to Russell, Heinsohn, Havlicek, and then, you know, him to call your name. There's nothing like it. You know, I'm very, very biased. I have a hard time a little bit with L.A. playing with the Sparks because the L.A. team. So that's why. I go, you know what? I love the Sparks. I don't know I love L.A. and those colors <laughs> because I'm so Celtic. <laughs> so it's kind of funny that she's going to stay with the Sparks. Um, but, I mean, again, there's nothing like tradition, Celtic pride. And for the Celtics to be in the finals right now, chasing the 18th banner, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just so happy for the franchise. They've done well by me. I went up there a few weeks ago and they honored me for, you know, being on the – the all 90s team because I was part of just the really the captain during that transition phase between Larry Bird, Parrish, McHale, myself, until the Paul Pierce, you know, uh, Antoine Walker, Kevin Garnett era. So, you know, I was the, the, the I was the connector between those two eras. So, I'm glad the Celtics are back on top and it, 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 it looks good. D, we're up against it. I really appreciate you coming on. And hey, here's a- there's at least something you could take for some resolve. If you don't want to wear L.A. Sparks gear, we know that you could wear some Lexi Brown gear. And for everyone listening out there, go to dbrown underscore OG on his Instagram. He's got it up there. I'm buying some gear because I love supporting the ladies. Great talking to you, D. I appreciate it. We're up against it. We're going to let you go. No question, guys. I appreciate you. There he is. D. Brown, former Celtic. And, yeah, he was talking about all the names he was around at the beginning of his career. Right. That was supposed to be the transition with D Brown. And then unfortunately, what, four years before that was Len Bias. Yeah. So it, maybe it would have kept going. But uh, yeah, he walks in there. You got Auerbach, Dave Gavitt uh, in the organization on the roster, Larry Bird, guys like Sherman Douglas, who were early in their career. Uh, and then veterans like Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish, uh, even a, you know, a former national champion like Ed Pinckney. And Danny Ainge did a pretty good job, man. They're They're right on the edge here, I think, of potentially winning the title and then having a real core that can make a run here for the next four or five years. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today.
There goes Alyssa Thomas, rejected by Asia, into the hands of Jackie. Jackie, one on two, trailer Plum, three, boom! Kelsey Plum assists Jackie Young in the trail right there. 55-53, it's the closest the Aces have been since the first period. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. We were just talking to D. Brown, former Celtic, uh, 11, 12-year veteran of the NBA, and uh, his daughter is in the WNBA, Lexi. We'll talk about uh, you know what you guys discussed and your 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 feature a little later on. Uh, the run ends last night, so the Aces finally lose the game, and they didn't have many excuses after the game. You know, it's basically, hey, we you know we weren't ready to play at the beginning. Maybe overlooked the Suns, and, and Becky Hammond did say, hey, beating a team in back-to-back spots, you know, two times in three days is more like a playoff atmosphere. Talked about the physicality of the game. So what do you think happened? I think that Connecticut was irritated from game one. I was in the Connecticut press post-game pressure for both games. And after the game one, I'm listening to the people on the Zoom back at, back east. And you know what their questions predominantly were? Hey, how good is Las Vegas? Yeah. Well, when that went muted, Courtney Williams, she looked at me. She was like, did they really think that I was going to give them – any compliments? Right. We missed our shots, but I'm not going to sit like here and sit there and kiss her ass. We got yeah. another game in a couple yeah. of days. Yeah. So I asked her again last night. I said, "How how pissed did that make you?" She says, "I was. We were. We were not going to lose. <laughs> that team's not used to getting punched in the mouth when they make their run. And we've seen the Aces make third quarter run, fourth quarter. Always there's one quarter they make a run. Last night they pulled within one. They're not used to the bully punch or getting punched right back. And that's what Connecticut did. They punched them right back in the mouth every time they got close. Physical. Very physical. Do you think that led to some of the injuries down the stretch, or I don't know if they're long-term injuries? Well, I don't know if the physic. I don't know if that's what caused Jackie Young's injury. It looked like she may have. I think she. I don't. I can't remember because she was on the other side of the court, and I haven't even looked at the replay. Uh, just tied up with other stuff, but I think she she rolled that. I don't think that had anything to do with the sun. Now, um, Chelsea Gray had a uh, has a has stitches. And that was some physical play. But, yeah, you know what? There was some sun on the on the hardwood, too. They're banging. And you know who's banging in there? The guards. Kelsey Plum's in there banging with Alyssa Thomas. Derricka Hamby's banging with their guards. So it's back and forth. Uh, you know, I had some people there. They were sitting on the on the hardwood, and they were like, man, all these big girls, the two, the two, the two dogs in there were Kelsey Plum and Courtney Williams, the two points. So, I mean, it was a very physical fought WNBA game and yes it was like a playoff atmosphere yeah Kelsey Plum said uh, we got to show, uh, show up to play every night doesn't matter who we're playing league is so good everyone is so talented there's nothing you can take for granted and uh yeah it's a stupid statement when we talk about sports that it's not the worst thing to lose a game every once in a while it'd be nice to go unbeaten but you do need a wake-up call every once in a while you know you're gonna there's gonna be inconsistencies now the great teams have very few spots like that well, but they have very few dead spots or bad quarters, and my guess is they're going to freaking bounce back in a big way. Okay, but let's not forget. So we're sitting here talking about why the Aces lost. The Sun are sitting there after Tuesday's game and talking about why they lost at that moment before because you know they're staggered games. So the Washington Mystics in the Eastern Conference, those Washington and Connecticut are now tied atop the Eastern Conference. So when Vegas beat them. Connecticut's thinking what Vegas is thinking today because they were atop the Eastern Conference. And at the time, in the whole league, it was Vegas 1, Connecticut 2. So they were just as good a team that had lost going, hey, wait a minute. So say they had just beat Washington. So same mentality. What was the crowd like last night? Uh, it was it was not as thick as it was for Game 1. I thought it would be bigger. We want to examine this in the uh, 5 o'clock hour in the Big Five because – 
Um, I think Mark Davis is looking around and, you know, Mark Davis wants to make money. He doesn't want to just, you know, leak it away, right. uh, investing in the WNBA. And I do think there needs to be some efforts uh, and they're trying, they're going to try here. Uh, but we keep telling people, Hey, it's a really good product. Get out there, watch it. It's entertaining basketball. Uh, Becky Hammond is someone I think you're going to really like in terms of the way she coaches because she's not a lunatic on the sideline over coaching, but she will bring the hammer after the game. Like this, this is not, Hey, good, good job. Uh, good job. Good effort. But she wants to win. And she's now got this team with an attitude like this is not acceptable. So I think they're going to build the crowds as time goes along. Yeah. And but, here, but we'll see. Hey, you know what? Here's the thing. And I, I'm not a big compare guy. Like people get so, Oh, don't compare this to that. The greatness, whatever. But let me tell you something. If you like basketball and you enjoyed the winning time series or, or you enjoyed that fast pace, that showtime type of basketball, that's what the Las Vegas Aces play like. This is quality basketball. This is not, you know, I mean, I'm not sure what more you're looking for. We have a pro basketball team in town. We have a roster that includes three Olympians, four Olympians that have been down there in Chelsea Gray, Asia Wilson, Jackie Young, Kelsey Plum. These are four of the greatest players in the world. And then all together, collectively, when these players come to town, the Dallas Wings are coming to town. They have a phenomenal roster. So you want to see, and that's a 3 p.m. matinee game on Sunday. Get your butts in the seats. We got a cool giveaway coming up. Uh, it's going down right now for a premiere next week on Tuesday, June 7, 7 o'clock, Jurassic World Dominion. It's the end of the uh, Jurassic era as uh, all the familiar faces are back, including Chris Pratt and Laura, Laura Dern. And we've got tickets at 364-1100, caller 7364-1100. The official opening is on June 10th, but you can watch our sneak premiere on Tuesday, June 7th. It's Jurassic World Dominion. Tickets available right now. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Now, back to Cofield & Company on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, rolling on. We'll get back to some more basketball in a little bit. Lots of NFL on the way with the OTAs going down around the league and with the Raiders and media availability, some interesting conversations yesterday. And then we get the news today uh, from the Raiders, not really from the Raiders, but Brent Musburger, play-by-play guy, you know, legendary play-by-play guy on TV for years and years. Uh, but recently the play-by-play guy on the Raiders radio network from the Cop 92.3 and, of course, our sister sports station, Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. Uh, Brent says he's going bye-bye. Uh, didn't give any reasons, but I would assume, you know, sort of a retirement here. I think people are trying to read into him. Maybe we'll get into that next week if there's any other reason that uh, he wouldn't be the play-by-play guy. But, you know, immediately people start turning to who could be the next person. So I was asking a question on Twitter a little early in the day. Um, will they make a big splash? Which Mark Davis does like to make big splashes. I mean, Brent was a big splash when they brought him in. And, you know, from a coaching standpoint, McDaniels, was a big splash. Gruden was a big splash. Becky Hammond, big splash. Um, I would like to see the Raiders embrace the local broadcast community a little more and go with one of our local play-by-play people or someone who's, you know, an enthusiastic person who's tied to the Raiders. What do you want? Who do you like? Uh, You know, I looked at your list, and um, I I have an appreciation for – Dan Duva and Dave Gocher, the, the the Vegas Golden Knights guys. Um, I just don't know. Not that they couldn't call football, but as far you know, it runs along same time as the Golden Knights, obviously. And I know that when the Golden Knights are dark, 
that Dave has ventured off. We've heard him during the playoffs, but even during the regular season, there are times he's on the national broadcast. I don't know if he wants to give that up. Um, the one name that stands out that's kind of interesting because I feel like he's put in his due here in town, and whether it's been time with the local soccer program, uh, the lights, um, whether it, when he's doing Spanish broadcasts for that he's done Golden Knights at times, I think with um, Jesus, or, or he's done stuff uh, with the Raiders, is Harry Ruiz. He's a young voice. He knows what he's doing. Um, I think he would be an interesting candidate, nice young candidate. Um, and Matt Neverett was a name you threw out there. A lot of local guys that you did throw out there. I've just never really heard them, so I don't know. Um, I know that they do radio as far as play-by-play is concerned, like our, our guy, part of the company, Adam Candy, Mitch Moss. Um, Candy already pulled his name out. Oh, he's done. Yeah, he, he crossed his name off, which I, I don't understand. My, my, well, list, to stick with my, my list had, that is one of his dreams. My list had Beth Moens. I think it would I be like great. Moans, I, I think it would be great to have Beth and, and a female voice of the Raiders would be tremendous. I think Dan Duva on radio for hockey is as good as anyone in the market. He is awesome. Um, you know, more enthusiastic guys. And I don't know if Hondo's ever done play by play, but everyone loves Hondo. Uh, JT the Brick has done play by play going back to the XFL, I think it was. Um, and I listed Harry. I also had, uh, you know, multiple winners of Nevada Broadcaster of the Year, guys like Russ Langer and John Sandler. I mentioned the younger guy like Matt Neverd, who I've had a chance to work with. You mentioned Dave Gocher. Uh, the reason I mentioned Mitch, Mitch did some uh, Mountain West play-by-play. I don't know if it's still a goal of his, but Mitch is down at VSIN now. Um, but he would do a good job. And then uh, I mentioned Tony Cordasco has done UNLV stuff and has had paying jobs around town forever. Uh, so those are some of the names, but I, I have a feeling that they may look outside the market and try to make a big splash. Like I had someone send me Josh Lewin, which I don't think makes a whole lot of sense. Josh Lewin has kind of bounced around. I think he still does UCLA and he does the Mets. Um, but I, I could see some big name person potentially getting the gig. You know who I did? You didn't put on this list, and and I know that he's done some color commentary. He's done some sideline reporting, and I want to say back in the day he told me that he's done some play-by-play, but I don't see Steve Cofield's name on this list. Yeah, I'm not a candidate for this. This is a, <laughs> this is a big job. This is a big job. You're, he'll stick to your UNLV gigs yeah. and Cofield and company. Yes, I like huh? what I do. Right. Um, it's a good gig, though. I mean, obviously, it's one of the 32 NFL you, gigs, and there, are, and there are a lot of NFL gigs that – are good but not as good as the Raiders. This is a, you know, very high profile position. I a lot of people uh, made the suggestion of Greg Papa. I don't think that's going to happen. I think there was you know something. There was some bad blood there uh, between Mark Davis, but especially you know Papa pushed back a bunch. So he was awesome though. He was awesome, and now he's doing the Niners. And like you said, Mark Davis likes to make a big splash. We've seen some big name splashes in terms of guys that are moving over to Monday Night Football. Um, and, Tony Romo's become such a big name. And now, all of a sudden, you know, Tom Brady's got a contract sitting there waiting for him when he ever he retires. Uh, of course, you know, super fan of the Las Vegas Aces, Tom Brady. But you have to wonder if he is looking to bring in a big former Raider. I'm sure we'll get some names pretty soon uh, for the Raiders play-by-play gig. Four o'clock hours on the way. In about 20 minutes, we're going to talk to former Raider Stanford Route.